Section three of Chesterfield's Letters to His Son. Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter six. London, March sixth, old style, seventeen forty seven. Dear boy, whatever you do will always affect me, very sensibly, one way or another, and now I am most agreeably affected by two letters which I have lately seen from Luzon upon your subject, the one from Madame Saint Germain the other from Monsieur Pompigny. They both give so good an account of you that I thought myself obliged, in justice to both of them, and to you, to let you know it. Those who deserve a good character ought to have the satisfaction of knowing that they have it, both as a reward and as an encouragement. They write that you are not only decrot, but tolerably well-bred, and that the English crust of awkward bashfulness, shyness, and roughness, of which, by the by, you had your share, is pretty well rubbed off. I am most heartily glad of it, for as I have told you, those lesser talents, of an engaging, insinuating manner, an easy good breeding, a genteel behavior and address, are of infinitely more advantage than they are generally thought to be, especially here in England. Virtue and learning, like gold, have their intrinsic value, but if they are not polished, they certainly lose a great deal of their luster, and even polished brass will pass upon more people than rough gold. What number of sins does the cheerful, easy good breeding of the French frequently cover? Many of them want common sense, many more common learning, but in general they make up so much by their manner, for those defects, that frequently they pass undiscovered. I have often said, and I do think, that a Frenchman, who, with a fund of virtue, learning and good sense, has the manners and good breeding of his country, is the perfection of human nature. This perfection you may, if you please, and I hope you will, arrive at. You know what virtue is. You may have it, if you will. It is in every man's power, and miserable is the man who has it not. Good sense God has given you. Learning you already possess enough of, to have, in a reasonable time, all that a man need have. With this you are thrown out early into the world, where it will be your own fault if you do not acquire all the other accomplishments necessary to complete and adorn your character." You will do well to make your compliments to Madame Saint-Germain and Monsieur Pompigny, and tell them how sensible you are of their partiality to you, in the advantageous testimonies which, you are informed, they have given of you here. Adieu, continue to deserve such testimonies, and then you will not only deserve, but enjoy my truest affection. Letter 7. London, March 27th, Old Style, 1747. Dear Boy, Pleasure is the rock which most young people split upon. They launch out with crowded sails in quest of it, but without a compass to direct their course, or reason sufficient to steer the vessel, for want of which, pain and shame, instead of pleasure, are the returns of their voyage. Do not think that I mean to snarl at pleasure like a stoic, or to preach against it like a parson. No, I mean to point it out, and recommend it to you, like an epicurean. I wish you a great deal— and my only view is to hinder you from mistaking it. The character which most young men first aim at is that of a man of pleasure, but they generally take it upon trust, and instead of consulting their own taste and inclinations, they blindly adopt whatever those with whom they chiefly converse are pleased to call by the name of pleasure, and a man of pleasure in the vulgar acceptation of that phrase means only a beastly drunkard, an abandoned whoremaster, and a profligate swearer and curser. As it may be of use to you, I am not unwilling, though at the same time ashamed to own, 
that the vices of my youth proceeded much more from my silly resolution of being, what I heard called a man of pleasure, than from my own inclinations. I always naturally hated drinking, and yet I have often drunk, with disgust at the time, attended by great sickness the next day, only because I then considered drinking as a necessary qualification for a fine gentleman, and a man of pleasure. The same as to gaming. I did not want money, and consequently had no occasion to play for it. But I thought play another necessary ingredient in the composition of a man of pleasure, and accordingly I plunged into it without desire at first, sacrificed a thousand real pleasures to it, and made myself solidly uneasy by it, for thirty of the best years of my life. I was even absurd enough for a little while to swear, by way of adorning and completing the shining character which I affected, but this folly I soon laid aside, upon finding both the guilt and the indecency of it. Thus seduced by fashion, and blindly adopting nominal pleasures, I lost real ones, and my fortune impaired, and my constitution shattered, are, I must confess, the just punishment of my errors. Take warning, then, by them. Choose your pleasures for yourself and do not let them be imposed upon you. Follow nature and not fashion. Weigh the present enjoyment of your pleasures against the necessary consequences of them, and then let your own common sense determine your choice. Were I to begin the world again, with the experience which I now have of it, I would lead a life of real, not of imaginary pleasures. I would enjoy the pleasures of the table and of wine, but stop short of the pains inseparably annexed to an excess of either. I would not, at twenty years, be a preaching missionary of abstemiousness and sobriety, and I should let other people do as they would, without formally and sententiously rebuking them for it. But I would be most firmly resolved not to destroy my own faculties and constitution, in complacence to those who have no regard to their own. I would play to give me pleasure, but not to give me pain. That is, I would play for trifles in mixed companies, to amuse myself and to conform to custom but I would take care not to venture for sums, which, if I won, I should not be the better for, but if I lost, I should be under a difficulty to pay, and, when paid, would oblige me to retrench in several other articles, not to mention the quarrels which deep play commonly occasions. I would pass some of my time in reading, and the rest in the company of people of sense and learning, and chiefly those above me, and I would frequent the mixed companies of men and women of fashion, which, though often frivolous, yet they unbend and refresh the mind, not uselessly, because they certainly polish and soften the manners. These would be my pleasures and amusements, if I were to live the last thirty years over again. They are rational ones, and, moreover, I will tell you, they are really the fashionable ones, for the others are not, in truth, the pleasures of what I call people of fashion, but of those who only call themselves so. Does good company care to have a man reeling drunk among them? or to see another tearing his hair and blaspheming for having lost at play more than he is able to pay, or a whore-master with half a nose and crippled by coarse and infamous debauchery? No, those who practice, and much more those who brag of them, make no part of good company, and are most unwillingly, if ever, admitted into it. A real man of fashion and pleasures observes decency, at least neither borrows nor affects vices, and if he unfortunately has any, he gratifies them with choice, delicacy, and secrecy. I have not mentioned the pleasures of the mind, which are the solid and permanent ones, because they do not come under the head of what people commonly call pleasures, which they seem to confine to the senses. 
the pleasure of virtue of charity and of learning is true and lasting pleasure with which i hope you will be well and long acquainted adieu